Today is Friday, September 8th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. New York City Mayor Eric Adams makes a stunning admission about his sanctuary city. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe and leave a rating. Email us. We would love to hear from you. Hear your thoughts. Quick Start Podcast at CBN.org. Joining me now, Trey Gons Phillips, Billy Hallowell on this Friday, fellas. What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing amazing. Great. Very good. Very Glad to well. hear it. Glad to hear it. Trey. It is it's a happy it's a happy Friday. Is it as hot? I guess it is in yeah. Pennsylvania. It's as hot there as it is here. It's like a crazy it's been it's in bad. the nineties all week. It's bad. Yeah. And Billy, I know your kids yesterday had to get yanked out of school because it was so hot. It's uh it's yeah. brutal, but I know that it's supposed to be cooling off here in the next couple of days. So hopefully this is summer's last gasp of of heat because, yeah. I'm, it's final hoorah here. It's final hoorah. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. 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 We'll see. All right. We got a lot to tackle, so let's get right to it. What do you guys have coming up on the Focus Story? So the military with the U.S. Southern Command, they were going to screen Sound of Freedom uh, and then all of a sudden they scrapped it. Uh, so we'll get into oh why why that happened. All right, will do. We'll check that out coming up on The Focus in a couple minutes. Also on the main thing, we talked to Justin Brierly. He was the former host of Unbelievable, fantastic show. He's got a new book out and he's just, uh, he's a really uh, a smart guy, intellectual guy. Interesting to talk to him. Get a lot of great insights on the new atheists and why secular thinkers now are kind of leaning into Christian views. It's very interesting stuff. That'll be on the main thing. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. And Mayor Eric Adams blasted Texas Governor Abbott for busing migrants to New York City. And he complained about the number of people that are showing up and gave a pretty dire assessment of the situation saying we're we're getting no support on this national crisis and let me tell you something i don't see an ending to this this will destroy new york city take a listen to some of his comments here i don't see an ending to this i don't see an ending to this this issue will destroy new york city destroy new york city we're getting 10,000 migrants a month. There he goes. He went on to say where they're coming from and how many they're getting. 10,000 a month, just a fraction of what's coming in through the southern border, which many people are pointing out. And according to preliminary data from CBP, Border Patrol officers made 177,000 arrests in August. That's up. So we're getting a surge here from 132,000 in July. And President Joe Biden's facing some seriously negative job ratings, widespread concerns about his age, and decreased confidence among Democratic-aligned voters. A shocking number, nearly half of registered voters, 46%, say that any Republican presidential nominee would be a better choice than Biden in 2024. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out more stories from a Christian perspective over at cbnnews.com. Very interesting polling numbers out on Biden, guys. This is, I, we talked about it on the podcast this week. We're seeing more and more Democrats starting to say, hey, 
let's have some challengers come in here for the Democratic primary. Hey, maybe Biden, maybe you should step aside. So you're seeing the pundits start to say all this. And, I, and I'm guessing it's a, as a result because they always have that internal polling ahead of time. I'm guessing they saw those numbers and they're kind of panicked. Yeah, I mean, I think they probably should be. Uh, those numbers are, I mean, there was a there was a poll out saying almost half of Americans, right, um, would prefer any Republican nominee to yes. Biden. I mean, that, like, as you were mentioning these polls, that is really alarming. But the averages themselves, as we were talking about this week, those averages are incredibly alarming. When you go back to 2016 and you look at where we were at this point with, you know, Clinton versus Trump, you know, they, they are neck and neck right now, Trump and, and Biden. And so if I were if I were a Democratic strategist and I'm not, I would be saying, what are we going to do about this? Because you either have to rebrand or find someone else. Yeah, I mean, it should definitely be concerning for the Democratic Party when you're the incumbent and you're going up potentially against a man who's been indicted four times uh, and you know, summarily lost his last re-election bid. Uh, yeah, it's it's just not a safe place to you would think for the Democrats to be in, but also it's not really a safe place for the Republicans either because they are potentially nominating a four-time indicted man who yeah. didn't win re-election last time. So, yeah, I feel like it's kind of up in the air what's going to happen for either side at this at this point. Should Biden and Trump be the eventual nominees? But yeah, what an odd position. What an odd position, I think, for both parties to be in right now. And then also there are uh, like 12 at least declared Republicans uh, running right now. And then there are a few who are itching on the Democratic side to jump in, but obviously are not certain what they're supposed to do. Uh, but again, we're going to have a president who, if he is, if Biden is reelected, he'll be in his mid 80s when he's stepping down after his second term. 86. And it's uh, the hypothetical matchups. There. All of them against Biden, those GOP contenders that you mentioned, were pretty much there was they were neck and neck. All of them were, except for one, and that was South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who runs ahead of Biden by a significant amount. She was the only one. The other ones were all kind of neck and neck. And which is honestly, those are surprising numbers um, this early in the race. Um, you know, and and so it's it's going to be interesting to watch it all play out. It certainly is because, as you said, Trey, you have someone who's potentially going to be convicted. And right. it's just, but I mean, uh, Americans, I, you know, you would think Trump supporters and a lot of people, we talked about these polls as well. They just see that as political. So it's kind of a moot point. Democrats will, will view it as justice and Republicans, especially ones who support Trump, are just going to view it as, as political targeting. Well, and I think, too, at this point, I don't think Republicans can really rest on their laurels either because it's more so that all of these contenders, as you said, are neck and neck with Haley being the one exception that's above Biden. I think right now, because it's so early, that speaks more to a dissatisfaction with Biden than a, than a real desire to see yeah. one of these Republicans necessarily in office. Not that that could change. There's a long way to go. But at this point, I think it's more about frustration with Biden than a real desire to see a yeah. GOP uh, Republican in the White House. Well, yeah, it all comes down to bread, gas, and savings. If you don't right. have any yeah. savings, you can't buy bread and you can't get gas without cringing. You know, I think a lot of people, they're going to vote based on that or they're going to make decisions based on that. Uh, and I think you're going to see more and more people, unless things turn around economically in the next 12 months, um, jump on that bandwagon. Well, and as Eric Adams was saying, if there's a migrant crisis suddenly at your door when 
only southern states had to deal with it. And now all of these sanctuary cities that that through virtue signaling declared themselves sanctuary cities because they thought they ne were never going to have to deal with it. Now, because of their laws, they're having to provide shelter and they're like, oh, we can't do this. And all the southern states are kind of looking up there going, um, we told you and you didn't care. Instead, you chose the virtue signal and try to shame us and look like morally superior, like we'll take care of them. And then when you actually have to do it, you realize, oh, we can't. There's too many of them. And so it's all of those things combined, not a good really recipe for an incumbent president who, fair or not, is going to get a lot of the blame for that thrown right at his feet. We're going to move over to the focus story now. As Trey was mentioning moments ago, the military was hosting screenings of Sound of Freedom at U.S. Southern Command, but that's changed. So what happened here? Yeah, so this is an interesting story. So they were planning to air the movie for free for military members and their families on August 28th. Obviously, that one's already come and gone. And then again on October 19th at the Southcom headquarters, uh, they said that it was part of its, quote, mission to promote respect for human rights and combating trafficking in persons in Central and South America and in the Caribbean. That's according to the Military Times. Uh, and then the Military Times reached out to uh, Southcom and asked about these screenings. They had heard word that they were happening, uh, so they wanted to know more details about it. Uh, Southcom got back to Military Times and said, actually, we've decided to scrap the plan altogether. We're not going to be airing the film uh, at all uh, for military members and their families, uh, and instead encouraged people to go out and see the movie in theaters. They said that both showings are postponed until further notice, specific Department of Defense regulatory procedures for screening intellectual property are in place and to prevent the appearance of copyright infringement. So it's an interesting place that they're in because they're not saying that they pulled it for political reasons, uh, but that certainly is a question being raised. Was this a political move to, to pull the movie from screening? Did Southcom say anything about this to the press about why they made the decision? Yeah, so they haven't said really much of anything other than that they were worried about copyright concerns. Uh, they did say, though, uh, that they agree with the tenets of the movie, that, you know, it falls in line. Obviously, they, they made clear they weren't endorsing the movie. They're not saying that this was any sort of political statement, but it addresses an issue that Southcom and the U.S. military and the U.S. government generally cares about, of course, which is sex trafficking and human trafficking. Uh, so they said they wanted to screen the movie just as a show of support for this issue. Uh, they said in a statement, the movie's central theme and its connection to Southcom uh, and our Human Rights Office for Combating Trafficking in Persons program uh, are inescapable and will serve to raise awareness of the prevalence of trafficking in human persons and sexual abuse and exploitation within our area of responsibility. Obviously, a, a wordy statement, but the point is we agree with the mission. Uh, even a spokesperson, Jose Ruiz, uh, he's told the Military Times the subject of the movie is something that's of great concern to the command and that it follows as part of its mis mission of countering transnational criminal organizations. Uh, so, yeah, it seems that it was not at all political. Uh, but again, like I said, that's that's a, a question people are asking. There have been several people on social media who have said uh, that, you know, they're 
military bases and whatever have hosted drag type stuff. And we've talked about that and covered that over the years, over the last couple of years. So why are they so reticent to pull this screening over potential copyright infringement? But again, we don't know the inner workings. We don't know the backstory. We don't know what led to that ultimate decision. Uh, but at this at this point, from Southcom's perspective, it doesn't seem like it's political. Uh, but still, given that uh, the media has covered Sound of Freedom with such a political bent, uh, those are questions being raised. I remember The Guardian several weeks ago now when uh, Sound of Freedom was still in theaters. Uh, they called it a QAnon-adjacent yeah. movie, which we've talked about. So, yeah. yeah, those questions are definitely out there. Yeah, and it was bizarre that that was happening. But has Angel Studios said anything about it? So they haven't talked about this at all, which is interesting. They haven't released a statement. Uh, they're in the midst of rolling out the movie internationally. Uh, Sound of Freedom obviously did very well in the U.S. box office, beating out some major blockbusters at the time that it was debuting in theaters here in early July, on July 4th. Uh, and now it's doing really well uh, in its South American release, um, so it's interesting to see the movie doing so well, but they're, they're not yet saying anything about, uh, about this. We've reached out, CBN News has reached out to Angel Studios, uh, and obviously if we get a statement from them, we'll update our story on faithwire.com and cbnnews.com. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to add, it, it seems pretty easy to reach out. Now, I don't know, I don't know the inner workings of how the military works here, but, you know, they've been holding these screenings all over the place. It would seem pretty easy if you're worried about copyright infringement to actually reach right. out to the filmmakers and angels and schedule an actual event with them. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not possible, but it, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, which I think that's why so many people have asked questions like this can't actually be that can't actually be the legitimate reason there has to be some sort of political motivation, because as you've said, there have been so many screenings, whether it's church groups or, you know, para uh, para church groups uh, or even NGOs. So why couldn't they also get a similar exemption? Uh, that's information that just hasn't been released at this point. Yeah, you'd think they have a process down at this point if they're doing these screenings that this would just be standard standard operating procedure for them to reach out to these studios and make sure they have permission to do that, which usually all these studios, I mean, I, I'm not there. I don't know. I'm guessing that they allow more times than not our soldiers who are serving this country to get access to these screenings without too much hassle, but who knows? Yeah, for sure. It's it, it's definitely interesting. And it'll be interesting to see too. Like I said, the second screening wasn't scheduled until October 19th, 19th. So it's interesting. It will be interesting to see, is this something that they reverse course on yet again? Because they had it scheduled, they had announced it, they'd been promoting it. And then kind of uh, under the cover of night, when once the media found out about it, uh, that's when they said they were pulling the plug on the whole thing. So it'll be interesting to see now that it's getting a lot of coverage in the other direction, a lot of critical coverage from conservative outlets. Will Southcom go the other direction yeah. yet again? Yeah, indeed. Well, we'll keep an eye on it for sure. And it's at least good to see Sound of Freedom still making news after that incredible run. And now it's starting its international run. So we'll see if it can keep the momentum going. But appreciate you bringing that story on the podcast today, Trey. All right, we are going to head over to the main thing. And Justin Brierley is someone you may know from the fantastic show, Unbelievable. And he's hosted it for many years and now has moved on to becoming an author. And he's got a new book out. But he joined us to reflect on his time hosting the popular show 
and also the heart behind his book, which focuses a lot on these new atheists and the new atheist movement, the Richard Dawkins of the world that, that had, a, had a resurgence a few years ago, but it's fizzled out. So his explanation for why and what they're being drawn to is super interesting. And that's today's main thing. We're here to talk about a number of topics, but the big subject we're going to be covering is your new book. And I love this title, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, Why New Atheism Grew Old and Secular Thinkers Are Considering Christianity Again. Wow, there, there's a lot There's a lot there in that title. And I think people look at the culture, they look at the chaos, and they might hear that and they might say, well, what is this rebirth? Is there a rebirth of belief? And so I'll, I'll throw that to you. Well, I, I think there is. Um, sometimes it's hard to say that it's a kind of something that's overwhelming us at this point. I think it's something that's almost going on at a, a kind of cultural level quite high up. And sometimes it takes a while to feel that further on downstream. But actually, really what I, I noticed was, you know, I've been hosting conversations between Christians and atheists for many years. And I just noticed that those conversations were changing in recent years. What had once been the kind of combative debates between new atheists and Christian thinkers were increasingly being replaced by conversations with secular thinkers still, but who were much more open to the Christian faith, to the value it brings to culture, and kind of concerned in a way at the way in which culture is turning into the culture wars and things, and the way in which there don't seem to be any answers to that. We're, we're seeing a meaning crisis in the West. And I guess just asking big questions about whether actually we do need something like Christianity that once held people together. So so this is where I've seen the conversation changing. And I just I, that doesn't mean that sort of everyone's suddenly about to become a Christian. But I do think there's some something's changing in the atmosphere. And, and that's what I'm writing about in the book. Yeah. And you've obviously had a front row seat to many of these debates. And, you know, as a Christian, I'm sure you've first of all, I commend you for, you know, sitting there with a straight face sometimes as a Christian, hearing some of these, you know, some of the views and not wanting to jump out of your seat. I, I don't think I'd be able to contain myself as well as you did listening <laughs> to, you know, some of the atheists, but you do a really good job of letting them explain uh, their views. So, um, but I want to back up a little bit. Can you talk about what exactly like the new atheist is versus just standard atheism before we get into like all the implications of how that's changing? Well, atheism, non-belief in God has obviously been around for a long time, but new atheism was a kind of new incarnation of that in the mid-2000s. It was a very strident, anti-religious form of atheism led by people like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett. These were the horsemen of new atheism. They all had best-selling books against religion, and it kind of resulted in, in a whole movement, especially led online, lots of rallies, conferences, um, and in a sense, a, a really strident anti-religious tone in the media as well. So that was that was kind of what the new atheism was. It even had in, in our country, the UK, uh, a bus campaign which said, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And maybe the high point of it in the US was the, uh, the, the Reason Rally in 2012, where a lot of people turned out on the mall in Washington, D.C. to kind of champion science and reason. But what I say in the book is really that I think that that movement, to some extent, has really come to an end. In fact, all of the new atheists are now no longer talking about religion, actually. They've all effectively taken up sides in the culture wars. Um, and I'm, I was so interested to see so many of these new atheists sort of architects actually falling out with each other in the end. A lot of the movement kind of unraveled under its own weight. And a lot of them got a lot more concerned with what was happening in the culture than, you know, than their concerns with fundamentalist Christianity and that kind of thing. So the whole kind of thing started to change in the last several years. So that I would say the new atheism now, 
as, as I say in the title, has grown old. It's not really uh, a, a movement that many people consider a live one any longer. Yeah, you're you're pinpointing something really interesting. I went to the Reason Rally to cover it, and I was there. And you look at you look at that event, and that was the pinnacle. I feel like of everybody coming together in that movement. And you really got this sense. It was like an evangelistic sense among they were evangelizing one another and bringing people in. And to think that just a decade later, you would have some conservative Christians in agreement with Richard Dawkins on certain cultural issues is remarkable. I never would have guessed that or saw that coming. What do you think it is that led to that decline? I mean, to have such a big movement get to that point and then to sort of end up where we are now, what precipitated that? Well, I think there are a number of things. I think, firstly, the culture itself got slightly bored of the new atheism, if I'm honest. I think it started to sound all, almost quasi-religious itself because it was so kind of strong in its rhetoric. It had, it essentially, it had, you know, the high priests of the new atheism. It had religious texts. It had a sort of orthodoxy, which was scientific materialism, and it had its heretics. So I think some people just got fed up with the kind of the religiosity almost <laughs> of the new atheism. And and eventually I had more people kind of dissociating themselves from new atheism um, who were who were non-Christians than kind of for it. But but I think also, as I say, it, it kind of just started to crumble under its own weight. And it's interesting you say that, you know, you, you can see conservative Christians as unlikely bedfellows now with Richard Dawkins on certain social issues like transgender is the one he's been speaking on particularly recently. And that for me is symptomatic of what's happened around the new atheism, because what happened to the new atheism was that um, it had all these internal disputes about precisely these kinds of issues. Um, there was one wing that wanted to be pro LGBT, trans rights, feminism and so on. Uh, and they wanted to take the movement in that direction. And there were others who were really concerned by that and saying, no, all, all we need is science and reason. We don't need any of this political ideology with our movement. And so that that precipitated a huge split in the movement itself. And in fact, uh, lots of these atheists no longer being able to share a stage with each other. Uh, lots of controversies. I mean, Richard Dawkins constantly getting into trouble for saying th controversial things on Twitter and so on. Uh, and eventually, you know, interestingly there was a kind of a movement especially for those who were concerned by the move towards woke ideologies where they actually ended up realizing that that christians weren't necessarily their enemies they were more their bedfellows um another example of this is peter bogosian who at one time was you know a pin-up new atheist he had written a kind of anti-religious book he was this portland philosophy professor but when i contacted him a few years ago to take part in a debate on my show he he, he politely turned it down and said, Justin, I'm no longer debating religion because there's this much bigger thing that I'm worried about. And I actually see Christians more as my allies than my foes now. So he had a complete change of heart as to what battles he wanted to fight. And 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 I've seen that time and again, actually. Uh, so we're living in a very different cultural context when the new atheists, you know, are often actually more on side with some Christians than against them. A phrase that, uh, that really kind of piqued my interest, you said there's a meaning crisis right now and um, i wanted you could you unpack that a little bit well the meaning crisis is something that's been identified by a lot of contemporary scholars psychologists uh, secular thinkers and essentially it's a sense of alienation that people have um there's a sense in which our culture as it's lost the christian story in the west which once gave people a sense of identity common purpose and so on uh, it's been replaced by lots of different stories, lots of individual stories, lots of postmodern stories where people are essentially meant to find their own meaning, their own purpose, their own identity. 
and we've really seen this proliferate in in the last you know several years obviously you've had a huge rise especially thanks to social media of all kinds of different identities that people can ascribe to sexual and gender identities but also all kinds of like political philosophies and everything else and in many ways what i see these and other people have seen this as is a kind of replacement for god it's it's like the way in which people kind of fulfill that religious instinct in their lives and it's by putting something as sacred in their life and it and it might be their gender identity or their sexual identity or something else and and so there's that saying isn't there by um, uh, Blaise Pascal that we all have this god-shaped hole in our lives but of course the question is can we fill it with these other things and I think the meaning crisis is evidence that we can't that actually these things do not ultimately satisfy because they they don't tell a true story about who they are and they don't give us a a bigger picture of, of how we're meant to live in this world. And so for me, uh, what I see happening is I see psychologists like Jonathan Haidt and John Verveke and others, secular psychologists talking about this meaning crisis. It kind of gives me hope that actually there's room here for the Christian story. And then I see other secular psychologists like Jordan Peterson, for instance, who's obviously become you know a huge, hugely well-known name in this area, often directing his young men who come to him for advice, who are looking for meaning and purpose in life, these kind of refugees from the meaning crisis. And where is he sending them? Well, he's sending them back to the Bible, interestingly. You know, he's he's putting on huge lectures on the book of Genesis or Exodus. He's writing books like 12 Rules for Life, full of, you know, Christian wisdom, essentially. And, and I just find that really interesting. I think what we're seeing is that a lot of people are recognizing the Christian story still can be relevant for people who are looking for meaning and purpose. And actually none of these smaller stories that we're telling ourselves are really doing the job in our contemporary culture. So I think the meaning crisis is kind of an identity crisis and the identity people are ultimately searching for can only be truly found in Jesus Christ. All right, and you can check out that full conversation coming up on this week's episode of Faith Versus culture. All right. We have time now on the podcast for one last thing. We're going to look at Philippians 2.3. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. I think a good reminder in our culture that tells us the exact opposite every day. Yeah. And it's, and it's honestly, it's easier said than done. I mean, we are programmed sure. to put ourselves first, but Obviously, this verse uh, instructs us otherwise. I mean, self-obsession is rampant, and I love that scripture because it's so countercultural, and it really we have to lean into our faith to do it, which I love. All right, let's go forth humbly this weekend, everybody. Hope you have a fantastic one. And Lord willing, in that creek don't rise, we're going to be back here Monday with more. God bless. We'll see you then. Have a great weekend.